Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and welcome to episode 52 of Collective Wisdom with my new friend, Robbie Swale. This week, I'm putting out a call to all the procrastinators who might be listening. I count myself as a gold medalist in this particular category. So this one is definitely self-serving. Robbie is someone who has overcome his own procrastination and turned that struggle into a series of very helpful books, which are published this year. The first of which, How to Start When You're Stuck, introduces his resistance-beating 12-minute method, which as you'll hear, Robbie has been successfully implementing in all sorts of creative ways in his own life. So if you have a dream or a project or a book or indeed any other creative spark inside you that you've been stalling on starting, then this one is definitely for you. So joining me today, we have Robbie Swale, who is a very accomplished life and leadership coach based in London and is also host of one of my new favorite podcasts, The Coach's Journey, which if you're a coach or are interested in the field of coaching, is an absolute goldmine of fascinating conversations with some really cool coaches about personal development, what coaching is, how to build a business around coaching, and inspiration for how to be a better coach. But the other reason I was so keen to talk to Robbie is that he's also the author of a new book called How to Start When You're Stuck, or to give it its full title, How to Start a Book, Business, or Creative Project When You're Stuck, Practical Inspiration to Get Your Idea Off the Ground, in which Robbie presents his 12-minute method to beat procrastination, be more productive, and finally do the thing you've been meaning to do. So if that sounds like a good read, let me tell you it is. Firstly, because it's the method Robbie used himself to get from being stuck and perhaps a wee bit scared of putting his own work out into the world, but also because it's a really practical hands-on book complete with worksheets that breaks down the method into four elements. Start, keep going, create the conditions for great work, and then share your work. That will help you to move from stuck to unstuck and to keep you there. It's a philosophy that embraces the idea that little and often over time will build momentum to not only start, but to keep going. Robbie's used this method himself to write a blog containing over 200 articles, each written in 12 minutes, to build a successful business that could support him within two years of finishing his training, to launch a podcast, to build a community by sharing wisdom of his favorite fantasy novelist, David Gemmell, to write a book and to have three more ready to be published this year, and even to get married. So Robbie, a warm, warm welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to have you here to dig into two of my favorite topics, coaching and creativity. So yeah, 
tell us, if you will, the background to the 12 minute method and how this all came about. Yeah, Kat, thanks so much for that that introduction. Before I tell the story, it's like, it's it's really nice to have an introduction like that. Um, you know, you're the first person that's, that's done that since I wrote this book. And it's like, having written a book is a very strange experience. And we can talk more about that, but it's like, it feels suddenly much more real when you've just given that back to me. So thanks so oh, much for that. You are welcome. Um, yeah. All of it true. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, lovely, lovely to hear that. Yeah, well, and there's something important about that as well, because absolutely you've joked about the thing that, that was definitely happening in my mind then, and people will know, which is, you know, basically the, the, the swift dismissal of things you were saying and then me having to pull myself back and say, no, no, I can listen to this and I can trust Kat. But many uh, people uh, I know from my work re will resonate with me on this, that it's like, sometimes we have that, it's, you know, we just mm -hmm. dismiss the good things that people say about us. And it's been a practice of mine, which I used quite a lot as I was, as the book was approaching publication um, to remind myself of the nice things that people had said about me. I have a Word document uh, uh, pinned to my start menu. I can't remember mm -hmm. what it's called, Testimonial Bank or something, I think. It's got a very unromantic name, but it's full of nice things people have said about me. And so I read that when uh, I read it quite a lot in the, and thought about it quite a lot in the, in the build-up to publishing the book, when the, who are you to publish a book uh, question was at mm -hmm. its loudest. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 12 minute method, yeah. And I should say, it's like, I definitely did procrastinate on getting engaged and then getting married. It's like, I didn't sit down and do it 12 minutes at a time. I do need to like come clean about that. Um, but it was absolutely, um, a, it was absolutely a thing that I had to think about to work out why it wasn't happening. So if you think about like creativity, the way I think about it and why I love uh, why I wrote this book or why I presented this book in this way is because there's so many of us that have a, th like you pulled out that thing that you really want to do, but for some reason haven't done. Mm -hmm. And then understanding that and then being someone who did it, that that was definitely me about getting engaged and getting married. Um, and I, luckily my friend, Which, Vegard gave, it's kind of, I'm just going to stop you. Uh, it's go kind ahead. of understandable. It's a big decision. It's a big decision. But how would you say, so did the, the, the realization that 12 minutes had helped you get other stuff off the ground, help you see that resistance as resistance. Yeah. So the, yeah, see, well, seeing the resistance, knowing that the resistance and procrastination were a thing is when my friend Vegard asked me, he, he, so let me, let me tell the story. So he, my friend Vegard was talking about a coaching client that he had who, um, I don't remember the details and they would have been anonymized anyway. So who knows if they're exactly true, but it's something like had a business in a particular industry that he wanted to launch this client, but he felt like he needed to get, um, a he needed to, he needed, you know, two years of experience in a particular role in that industry to give him the credibility to launch the business. Uh, and Vegard said something like, um, if the, if you knew there were, weren't going to be any of those roles open for recruitment for the next five years, what would you do? And at that point, the poor client stump, you know, knows what's coming and, and says, oh, well, I just start the business, wouldn't I? Mm. And when you see that, essentially, you see so clearly that you've got this story that is stopping you from doing it, then things become different. And with, with getting engaged, I heard that story. I, I walked home, I think, and, and I basically asked myself that question. And what, what came up was, like, I, I didn't know how to do it. 
Like I didn't know how to buy a ring. That was my story. I didn't know how to, I didn't know what mattered about an engagement. I didn't know like, and that was my story that I couldn't do it. And so then it's, then once you've seen that, you've seen the clearly a story that, you know, and if I, and, and the question, what was interesting was the, the way that I turned that thing from Vegard on myself was if, uh, I guess it was like, or if there were no, so it was something like the th- the story that came back for me was, um, I don't understand all the traditions around engage, getting engaged and which are important to me or my wife, Emma, or which don't matter. And then I, you know, Vegard's question came for me, if there were no traditions around getting engaged, what would happen? And they'd be like, mm-hmm. we'd already be engaged. And that's then a little bit like, you know, that kind of hits me in the heart. Cause it's like, well, then what the heck are we doing? Right. What the heck am I doing? What are we doing? Right? And then of course, then what I did was I booked in, I think three mornings with my sister. So I did, you, you know, essentially I use a 12 minute method, just they wow. weren't 12 minutes. They were like two hours. It's like, because I need to not, procra- I'm going to procrastinate. If it's just me, I'm going to book stuff in on Wednesday morning instead of going to Hatton Garden. Um, and mm. instead I met my sister in a coffee shop in Hatton Garden. And because she was there, I had to do it. So we had to go and talk to people. And then we went back another time, we did, you know, and in the end there's a ring and in the end there's a proposal. And in the end there's a three and a half year long marriage and, and, and long may it continue. Yeah. <laughs> so you've just, you've just, pinpointed that it's that stepping into the unknown and that's that can bring up fear and uncertainty but what's the next best step and often it is to book in some time to take an action to take a single action is is so important so take us back if you will so we we're we're referring to the 12 minute method which it's a story you're very familiar with but i not knowing you was so intrigued by where even 12 minutes comes from (laughs) yeah so essentially we need to go back to the summer of 2016 um that's when this madness all started um and i was I was about a year into, well, I was about three or four years into a career change, but I was about a year into having found a thing that by that point I thought maybe this is it. So I'd had some false starts um, with various things as part of moving from what had been in several years managing and leading in the arts in the UK, um, a couple of small art centers in Yorkshire, and then moving on to slight, slightly different things in the same industry. But I had found coaching which at the time felt like it fitted me in lots of ways, fitted strengths, gave my um, kind of, what would you say, my, um, I had a feeling that I wanted to be in an entrepreneurial industry. I didn't really know it. Like, I, you know, I'd, I'd been entrepreneurial within the charity sector in the UK, but, you know, that was a different thing. It felt like it would give me entrepreneurial freedom. And then, and, and so I was about a year into that. And I was working with a coach partly because um, it's one of the best things you can do as a coach to learn about the power of coaching. And here we go, right? Six years later, I'm still telling this story. And that tells us that there's something powerful about this thing, coaching. Yeah. And there was a few things going on, but essentially what happened was I noticed a pattern that um, sharing anything online carried an enormous weight for me. So it wasn't just, it's hard to like, when you've, here's, a, here's an interesting thing that I was thinking about just before this call, cat. When you've changed, it's quite hard to remember what it was like before you changed. You were, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I was thinking about it because I was thinking, am I going to be a bit of a fraud on this podcast? Because it 
I've changed so much since mm. six years ago, but, and I, and I can't remember the, like, I can remember a couple of things where posting things, like I can remember the feeling of sitting somewhere in, in our old flat and being about to post something and kind of feeling it. But I always remind myself that of a time and, and on some levels unrelated time. And I know this is what it felt like with some of the posting of like being at a, being at a friend's karaoke party and really wanting to sing and not being able to do it. Mm. So I remember that. Yeah, that's the, that's yeah, the one yeah. I can like bring the, 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 the tension in the chest feeling back with. And I know that it was like that with posting things online, but it, it's harder for me to kind of remember it. And, and there was a couple of reasons that I think that was important. One was I was starting out on this new business and I knew that it would be at the very least advantageous to be able to share things online. It's by no means necessary for a coach to be able to do that, but mm. I kind of had a feeling that I wanted to be able to do that. Another was that I felt awful. Like I felt hugely uncomfortable and anxious. And this was sometimes about posting jokes on Facebook. You know, I stopped doing that mm. before mm. that. And I haven't really gone back. Not, I mean, Facebook's changed a bit now, but not because I didn't necessarily want to, but because it just felt difficult and unpleasant and I didn't want to do it. And then the third reason, which, which was really important is, um, I've been reading a lot of Stephen Pressfield. Um, so I've been reading the war of art and, and there's a bit in the war of art where Stephen Pressfield says something like a good rule of thumb is that the places where you feel the most resistance, which is Pressfield's word, word for fear and procrastination are the places that are most important for your soul's evolution. It's like, that's pretty deep and heavy. And so if I'm sitting there looking at like, what the heck is going on? Why am I finding it so scary to sh the idea of sharing things online? Something, something's up there. Yeah. I, I don't think I knew all of that at once, but my coach at the time, Joel, at least on some level of his presence, picked that up because we found ourselves one day talking about that in a, in a more active way. And essentially in that session, we designed a practice and a lot of it turned on this and you never know where this magic is going to come from, turned on the fact that Joel had been a painter in his previous life, amongst other things, and said to me, you know, when I was a painter, I don't know if he said painter, he might have said artist, you know, you know when I was a, when I was an artist, I used to love painting series of paintings. Mm. What if you created a series of articles and somehow we'd reached writing at that point. And what we designed in the end was an experiment for the next two weeks. I went on a holiday two weeks later. And over the next two weeks, I was getting the train into London from Clapham Junction in Battersea in Southwest London, where I live, um, into the city at Waterloo. And I was on the train, I think five days in those next two weeks, I was working part-time and coaching part-time at the time. And so the game would, would be, I would write five articles, one on the train each day. And the way to make it less pressure and uh, I guess more, um, to make it more a practice of sharing and less a practice about anything else was right while the train's moving, stop when the train stops, uh, proofread it once and then post it online. And I chose wow. to post it on LinkedIn because I thought no one read LinkedIn. Um, and I Good think- place to hide. I think so. <laughs> and I also made it, you know, another way to make it easier. <laughs> I think like probably less, I was saying this to somebody else, I think probably less people did read LinkedIn than do now. I think it's become yeah, more of yeah. a writing platform. Oh, sure. Um, but, but there was a writing platform then I also, to make it, to make it kind of speech marks easier on myself, no, to make it actually easier on myself, no speech yeah. marks. Yeah. I posted at the bottom of each article. This article was written on the train, proofread once and posted online, you know, as wow. a way for me to have permission, um, to get rid of 
the, the a, a load of that thinking that was going on around you know what if people criticize this what if, what if people, um, people say, hate that's it not very well written or exactly yeah. and of course on lots of levels cat they weren't very well written they were written on my phone with two thumbs uh mm. on a touchscreen keypad in a short train journey and so and i wasn't practiced at writing in that way uh when i started i went on holiday after that and a few people had read those articles and had liked them. And that was a very generous thing of people to do. Um, and I knew something was up. That's how I remember it. Like I knew something good. There was something good about me having written those pieces. Right. I didn't know what the outcome was, but I knew that enough to commit to doing one a week between then and Christmas. And that became one a week between then and now. And we're, what is it, 22, so five and a half years into that. So there are 200 and something pieces. I should find out how many there are actually. A new one written last week. And at some point in that, uh, I stopped getting the train. And um, uh, uh, I know, I know. And it's so strange because I was a little, like, I wasn't, no, like, I've spoke to a guy recently who said he used to, re he started reading that because he came across it and he liked it because he got the train from, yeah. from Clapham Junction to Waterloo as well. And I remember uh, somebody I knew through my other job uh, tweeting at one point, I'm doing a Robbie because he was on the train from, you know, Birmingham to London or something and was writing while he was on the train. So it was like, it was a, at least a, a, a thing in my tiny corner of the world. But how and interesting it, that you didn't set out to create a thing and, you, you know, the train was the beautiful constraint, but it wasn't like you had all that lined up. It became yeah. a thing because that's how you did it. Yeah. Well, and if we, if we trust Mr. Pressfield, then it became a thing because I faced down the most difficult thing I could find at the time and mm. followed that thread. Mm. And here we are. Um, and then, when, so when I stopped getting the train, I checked the next time I got the train, I was like, I'm gonna need to find a different way to do this. I checked how long it was. And it took 12 minutes that time. And um, then I created a new practice for days when I wasn't getting the train, which was set a timer for 12 minutes, right while the time is going, stop when it stops, proofread it once, post it online. What's funny about that is when, when you're writing, when I'm writing, when I'm, I think when everyone's writing a book, but certainly when I was writing a book, there was a few things as I was going through the kind of, last couple of edits that I was like, I better check this. And one of them was, I was interested, like, I didn't have to check this, I guess, for accuracy, but no, I think I did. Cause I think I said, I said in the original draft of the intro of the book, cause the train journey took 12 minutes. So I did that. And I was like, does it take 12 minutes? Mm. And what's funny is no, almost never cat like two or three times. I don't know, a day or something like that. Mostly it sometimes it takes seven minutes. Sometimes it takes 13, 15. Wow. It just happened that time to take 12. And I, I don't even know if it actually was supposed to take 12 or if that one was just delayed. Um, and what's, <laughs> what's funny or, or, or ahead of time, um, shouldn't, shouldn't give Southwest trains too much, yeah. um, too much criticism. Yeah. It might've been, might've been ahead. Benefit of the doubt. Benefit exactly. Of the doubt. Um, and you know, what's the reason I like that bit of the story is it shows essentially how arbitrary 12 mm. minutes is, mm. um, you know, and I think that as I share the 12 minute method practically with people more often, that's an important thing to say because not everything is best solved in 12 minute chunks. Um, everything is best solved in my view. And I think I can say this honestly, everything is best solved by doing it for a bit stopping for a bit and then sometime later coming back doing it for a bit again and then stopping for a bit that's i think i think that's how everything literally everything is done i mean you could do stuff in one sitting i guess which in some ways i did but the 12 minute thing was 
pretty arbitrary and it happens to be quite a good length of time for writing so if people are going to write and the reason that book and business uh, are in that um title are well it's partly uh amazon seo of course and oh, it's partly yeah, good point, um, good point. And, <laughs> and it's partly but the reason it's those two things is because those are two of the things that i i think are most waiting in the uh annals of people's minds not being started uh, and that if more were started, the world would be better. Um, yeah. And so for a writing practice, 12 minutes does happen to be a good amount of writing. Um, and then just to tie up the story, I then about three years in, I started thinking I could publish this as a book. The first three years of it inspired a bit by, yeah, inspired a little bit by uh, Seth Godin producing a, a beautiful book of, of a few years of his blogs. Um, and also just thinking that, you know, there are some people by this point, three years in 130 articles or something, there are actually some people who have read quite a lot of these, but it would be really hard for them to read all of them. To find them all. And yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And a, also a, there's something tangible about being able to say, here's my book. And and yeah. Oh, I mean, lo lots of, yeah, lots of secondary reasons, um, definitely. And, and benefits to having a book. Um, what I find personally about that, though, is that those secondary tactical reasons, they mostly tie me in knots. They are mostly not. So if I'm thinking about the book, I'm mostly getting distracted, confused, and my procrastination comes from what's exactly the right way to publish this book? What's exactly the uh, right title? Like it was really helpful to, to be writing a book about how to start when you're stuck when publishing your first book, because every time I started to get uh, wrapped up in what is the right way to do this? What is the right title? What is the exactly the right cover back cover copy i can remind myself look you've done you've done the 20 percent of work on this that gets you 80 percent of the results it's best to be honest the great thing about this book guys it's best if there's some crap bits in it because um that's part of the game right because there have been slightly rubbish bits in so many of my articles over the years and my thing accidentally through this practice became you know better out than perfect yeah um, so so don't let don't let perfect get in the way of um getting it done yeah absolutely because i think perfection is a is a place to hide you know you've touched on yeah. so many great themes here you know we can un unpick those it's it's about you said how can i make this easy for myself so posting it on linkedin was easier than than being seen in, initially and certainly easier than facebook for example yeah. at the time where they, for some reason i couldn't i couldn't have told you why at the time looking back it's a bit easy to see but it, it was certainly a less safe place for me um, so there's a couple of things to, to add on to that, actually. So that are important to say. So one of the interesting things was that when I came to publish the book of the first three years of them, I, you know, I got challenged by a friend of mine who was going to do some copy editing on it, who said, you know, it was written in this 12 minute way. That's like a challenge to people and an inspiration potentially, mm, mm. but can the book itself, the content of the book of these blog posts do the same thing? And this was the kind of magical bit of it, because it turned out when I printed off these 130 blog posts and got them out and thought about the creative process, it turned out that that had, was basically what I'd been writing about for three years, not deliberately, but because I was writing about right. what I was interested in. Because I was going to ask you that every day you got on the train, because other people will say, oh, but I don't know what, you know, the blank page, that's the worst yeah. thing. So it's the interesting. So but the practice was exactly what I said. There was no requirement to write about anything. It was just write about something 
And a good thing about a timer or a train journey is you've got, if you know, if you, if you mess around procrastinating on what you're going to write about for five minutes, you've used up more than a third of your time. Mm. Um, and so really the only option, that's why 12 minutes is a, is a good amount of time because really no messing around just as soon you know, even if you think for too long and sometimes I do still like you look at the timer, see two minutes have gone past time to get going. Um, but no, that was it. And so what was fascinating was because I had been wrestling with my struggles to get to do things in the world publicly to share things because I'd been coaching, which at its essence is about helping somebody do something they want to do, but aren't or haven't done yet. Yeah. Like all I'd been surrounded by in that time was that. So if I asked myself, what am I interested in today? Which I wasn't explicitly always asking, but sometimes, but essentially I was, or every, by this point it was, it was one post a week, not a day. Um, but if I'm asking that, then it turned out what I was writing, writing in this emergent way was a book. Uh, or in fact, we in the end settled on a series of four so that the people who really want help starting can just get the starting bit. And the people yeah. that want help keeping going will be able to get the second book when that comes out. Um, it turned out that that's what I'd been writing about. And so the reason it's important to tell that part of the story is exactly what you said. Um, you know, that it can be easy to think, I don't know what I would write about, or I'm not sure this is the right business. I've got three ideas. Um, mm. Or... Um, like, I, yeah, the perfect thing, right, would be, and in some ways I think this sometimes, it's like, wouldn't it have been better if I'd sat down to write a book about starting and wrote about, written that for 12 minutes a day? And I think the answer is no, for all kinds of reasons. One of which it's these, the, the pieces that the pieces that make up the chapters of how to start when you're stuck are taken from across a three-year period. So yeah. it's not every piece I wrote in that, but it means that you get a sense of perspective, you get a sense of how my viewpoints have changed, you get influences that appear at different times. And if, you, if you're interested you can track which pieces were written first and last. And so you can see also how my writing's improved, which I think is, is an important yeah. thing to say. Yeah, and it really does, actually. And, and, and that actually adds one of the attributes of the book is you can read it from start to finish, but you can also um, dip into chapters, you know, just see if a, if a heading excites you or interests you or... Yeah, you have some curiosity around, boom, start there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's how it really, yeah, I mean, like I'm a completer finisher. So I like to start things at the start. And if I was reading this book, that's how I'd read it. But I know that not everyone is like that. And mm. um, I also know that it can be really fun to just pick up a book sometimes, open it at a page and see what's there. And the nice thing about pieces written in 12 minutes is that the chapters are punchy in that way. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to capture is there's there's a real power in, it was something you said a few minutes ago. There's a real power in habits and in having the practice. You were saying it actually before we before we kind of started the, the interview, pursuit as happiness, right? Pursuit as end game. Mm, mm. And certainly for me, the end game, the um, results often uh, get in the way of the doing. Um, so much so. So we get so, I've got to write this book. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be a bestseller. I've got to paint this amazing picture or painting. It's got to be in a gallery. And that can cause us to just stop in our tracks and go, yeah. you know, something we don't believe it's even possible for us. So yeah, therefore. And, and, and much better in my view, but this is my view and, and not everyone will agree to end a period of, let's say six months with something, then end a period of six months with nothing. Um, and you know, it might've been that at that Christmas I had given up on the writing practice because, because mm. it, because it wasn't, you know, if I look back now, there is something about writing for me and that probably already always was, I just couldn't see it. And mm. there is something about sharing myself online and, you know, there are things that make this 
the right practice, but it might not have been. And there have been things that I've stopped. Of course there have. And sometimes I've stopped them for the wrong reason, but it's possible to stop things for exactly the right reason. And it's important to know that, but, but great to have stopped something for the right reason, having done it, or at least done some of it. If I'd stopped at that Christmas, I'd have still had, you know, 15 or 20 articles that I'd written on LinkedIn. And it's like, that's, that's, that's for me, that's, that's better than not. Um, yeah. Plus yeah. as you go, there's so much learning that happens from the, the practice. Um, and I, you know, I'm an expert thinker about things. Like I'm very good at thinking about things from all angles. And uh, that is, that is a little bit useful sometimes, but it's a lot less useful to have spent in, you know, what my experience is that it's a lot less useful to have spent four months thinking really hard about something than it is to have spent four months doing something a little bit once a week. And also that one of them changes has changed me and the other one has not really changed me. I'm not sure how much I've been changed by thinking really, really hard. Yeah, um, right. And worrying yeah, yeah. about things. And but, also, you know, you allow yourself thinking as a space to to hide, to procrastinate. You know, you can think yourself out of something. It's like something that occurs to you is a very, very good idea. Give it too much thought and you can come up with all sorts of reasons why actually the status quo is my best friend here and I can just, you know, stay in my comfort zone. So yeah, yeah that that analysis of of overthinking things, taking yourself, but but it is that if you can create a habit or a practice, you actually, I mean, because what you're really talking about is decision-making, you know, you don't have to decide, am I going to write or am I not going to write? That's, that's a given. I'm on a train. This is what I do when I get on the train or then taking that practice out into the, you know, I'm, I'm just going to set the timer and I'm just going to write because once you allow that to become a, you know, runners will say the rate, the reason they get into that practice is, is to just be, put your running shoes out on a Wednesday. There is no argument about, Oh, it's raining. I'm not going to run. I'm running. And how far I run and how well I run will then just become another thing, you know, but I don't have to make the decision to get myself to the, the, the space in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite chapters in the, in the book is there was this time when I was uh, in that we were in the pub at like, I can't remember what it was like eight o'clock on a Friday night. I'd met my wife there um, after her work and I realized I hadn't written anything that week. So my deadline by this point was, was Friday, right? That was when right. the deadline was. And you know, she, you know, she came back from the bar or the toilet or something. And, and I was like, I haven't written anything. And we were ready to go home anyway. Like we, it wasn't interesting. We were going to do that, but that's what we did. Right. And yeah. it, the interesting thing at that point is in some ways it's not quite, it probably wasn't quite true at that point, but it, it I'd become someone who has a writing practice. Yeah. Um, and that took quite a while in some ways. It's part of your identity. It's like, you are it's, letting yourself yeah, down. It's, it's like there comes a point with habits where, but also that thing you were talking about where it's like, it's easier to, to do it than to not do it. Mm. And I think that is an identity mm. piece because if I don't do it, then what? And the great thing um, about writing a book about this stuff is it's become even more of my identity now. So it's like, you know, it's like if you do something often enough, there's like a chance to create your own myth. So like I've caught myself with my coaches, you know, them, you know, me questioning whether I'm going to, do something and then just being like, you know, it doesn't really sound like what Robbie would do to not do this, mm. you know, and that's to, to really know that about yourself, to know that you're somebody who does things. That's really powerful. And the other thing to say about habits is that it, it has pr probably the most fundamental way that this practice has changed who I am 
probably because there's something about the sharing which is where it starts which 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 could be it as well is i know i'm someone who will keep my promise to myself if i really make the promise because i've got five and a half years of evidence that if i say i will write a piece every week i will write a piece right every week pretty much so suddenly you can't wear the narrative that i'm a bit flaky and i i drop yeah. off the the line Absolutely. yeah and then yeah. it gets interesting because then it's like well why haven't i you know you get into responsibility it's like i've got a community for coaches and i uh, and supporters of my podcast and i said that i i said that i would do them a video every month and why this is like the third january was like the third month in the last six let's say where the video happened after the month it was supposed to happen in right. so it's like well, that's interesting what's happening there you know it, some you know but i know that it's i know that if i want to make the promise this is the i only had this insight the, last week i was like what's going on it's like well i haven't promised enough to myself that i'm actually going to do it and at the point where i make that promise my prediction is um it will happen yeah. of course the other side of it is i may also have not been humble enough um about doing what i need to do to remember to do it um so a weekly practice this is i think this is this is part this may be a new insight that i'm having in this moment with a weekly practice or a daily practice, it's hard, it's easier to remember. Mm. Uh, a monthly practice is quite hard because it's like, when is the end of the month? You know, you're not always working on the end of the month. So if it's a work thing, like when am I making that video? A remind One reminder in a calendar a month isn't really enough to remind me. Whereas the train was really powerful for that because it's like, yeah. I know when the last time I'm getting the train in a week is. And so if I haven't written anything by that train journey, then I know I have to do it then. So what I'm seeing is, yeah, you really do respond to those constraints that if you call it the 12 minute box, but it, either way, it's a train journey. As soon as you loosen that off, it becomes harder for you to find that discipline to complete, complete the structure, you know, the, yeah. the sort of form that you need. Yeah. There's, there's an experiment, which I can't remember. Do you know this one? I, I can't even remember where I read it, but you know, it's basically an experiment where they do with school children. Um, and they, in some cases they just, it's something like they just give them a pile of stuff right. and say, do something with this. And the kids don't do anything interesting, but if they say like, give them, give them the pile of stuff and then they give them some constraints, they come up with ingenious ways to use the, whatever the stuff is. Someone who listens to this can tell, can email me please to tell me what that is. Cause I think about that experiment quite a lot and can never remember quite. Well, or, you know, what came to mind for me straight away was the one where you have an egg and some straws and a, oh, yeah. a piece of plastic and some string, and you have to find the most creative way of launching the egg out of the window so that it lands without breaking. So there are all the constraints. Everyone has the same yeah. materials, but you have the creativity within that structure or that constraint to come up with your own, own ideas. And it sparks, you know, and, and that's something else you really go into is one spark is often all it takes to create that flame. So what you're trying to do is bring those sparks, you know, fire them often and, and allow yeah. them to just to, to, to then just run rather than having to create this whole, oh, it's going to be a book. It's going to be four books. It's going to be, you know, all about this. And that adds to that sense of overwhelm, which then just, yeah, is often the reason we all say, that is way too hard, you know, and it's this letting yourself find the easiest way, um, building those constraints. I, th I think I love what you were saying about, you know, we, we were talking about how often creatives think they need a lot of time and space to be creative or to wait for the inspiration to come to them. And what you've done is the exact opposite, which is to say, it's not really about that. It's about carving out the time. I'm going to do this anyway. 
Yeah. And there's a couple of things that are worth saying about that. So one is I was definitely inspired by um, a quote that, again, Stephen Pressfield has in The War of Art from a man called Somerset Maugham. And he, I, I don't know if that's how you say his second name, actually. He was a prolific writer in the 20s or 30s, I think. And the quote is something like, I only write when inspiration strikes. Mm. Fortunately, it strikes at 9 a.m. every morning. Right? Exactly. It's like, exactly. I'm going to sit down. The, the other thing to say about that is, you know, I'm, I'm getting to... There's a reason that so the, the four books are on those four topics that you mentioned at the start. It turned out I'd been writing about starting quite a lot. I'd been writing about how to keep going. And I'd been writing about the insights I'd had and seen other people have about how they can keep going and how they can manage themselves. I'd been writing about lots of things that I'd done to create the conditions for my new work to be um, different to my old work. And I'd been writing about sharing my work because that had been where it started. So that's why those those four books exist. Now, what's interesting is people will notice they'll come out in that order, start, keep going, then create the conditions for great work. Now, the, the reason for that is because the two most important conditions for doing great work are that you start and that you keep going. Mm. And if you do those things, there's nothing, there's nothing better you can do than those two things. I, I, I've kind of thought about the, you know, you think about the leverage, think about the 80-20 analysis. It's like if you never start, you won't do great work. Yeah. But also if you only start and then you give up, you've got like a, you know, a very small chance of doing great work. And there's two kind of logical reasons for that. One is you're only doing it once. Whereas I've been writing these articles, you know, 200 and something times now. The other is you're only giving it your first shot. And that, you know, the truth is we get better if we practice something like my pieces, you know, I don't know, like, um, like probably the most shared of my pieces that are in those two books, probably still the, those those four books, probably the, still the most shared one, came two and a half years in, and it's like it you can like it it took that practice yeah. to get to the point where I was courageous enough to write about what I wrote about. I was skilled enough to create an article that had a coherent beginning, middle, and end. By that point, uh, I I had, you know, and then there's other things that happen at that point that make it most read, which aren't to do with the practice, which is like the right person sees it and shares it with the right person who shares it with it. And then we, and then we're aware. Well, yeah. Cause what I was going to ask is, I mean, you, you, you can't have known when you press submit, which you did any day, every day, which one was going to resonate most or which one's going to get shared most. Did you have a sense? Oh, this is a really good one. Yeah, no, you can't be sure what'll resonate most, or I certainly can't be sure what'll go furthest. Um, because, for example, deep doesn't necessarily mean uh, shareable on social media. Mm. But this one I knew, right? It was a, um, it's a piece in there. People can can kind of go, if you Google, uh, if you Google, it, it's time for you to die, Robbie Swale. You'll find this piece ah. um, inspired by um, a section in a book by Fred Kaufman called The Meaning Revolution, um, and his inspiration coming from uh, the Zen. Um, the Zen saying, uh, "Die before you die, so that you can truly live." Something like that. Right. Oh, no, no, I, might, I might be, I might be mixing up a Zen saying with Braveheart there. Um, so, <laughs> Braveheart, he says, "Every die, man you... dies, not every man lives." Die before you die is, is the is the Zen piece. So, there's a, so I knew something had happened because I could feel myself changing in that one. In right. in the first book, the the first time I remember it really happening is chapter seven, which is everything starts with a decision. So decide. Mm -hmm. And I knew something had happened when I wrote this, particularly the second half of that. I remember, remember literally remember where I was standing on the train. Um, and then I kind of knew that something had happened because of the first couple of responses to it. Now I should caveat all of this by saying, I do not have an enormous social media following. And most of these pieces have been read 
tens of times, a what? small group have been read hundreds of times, and probably two have been read thousands of times. So it's like, it's important to say that because again, for the same reasons we've been talking about, we can get hung up on the idea that, or people might listen to this thinking that I have through this practice developed, got, you know, got tens of thousands of followers and that's why something or, or other, but, but no, the answer is not at all. So it's like- That said, you know, you're still early days when you compare it to say Seth's blog, which is 20 years old and the difference between the two is probably only longevity as opposed to anything, you know, well, much more. And, and Seth is a very courageous writer because he posts a piece every day. Uh, I do think like that, that would have been too much for me, especially in the way I was writing and, yeah. and the stage yeah. I'm at. But I think you're right. Like who's to say, so you're good, good, good catch. Thanks for calling me on that. It's like, who's to say where a thing ends. Yeah. And in 20 um, years time, you know, okay. Your average article, because just by, sheer volume of, of work, but also the amount of people who've then become, if, if, if you're starting with a snowball and it's getting bigger and bigger by definition, you know, it, it, you just haven't quite allowed it to get yeah, to the well, scale it can do. Well, and we all have to be a little careful that our resistance isn't stopping our work, reaching people in particularly insidious ways. For example, there are some things that it's really helpful if you're creating content, there are some things that if you don't do them, it makes it harder for, for that thing that you've described to happen, which makes it harder for the people who would be interested in your work to find your work. Absolutely. And that's the mo marketing trap that I most often fall into. And that's in, it's, it's in book four, you know, it is that piece of like, who am I, who is benefiting from the fact that I do not have a mailing list, which was the case for me at one point, right? I had, it was like, because it's tricky uh, with something like procrastination yeah. at one stage in my work, Wasting time setting up a website and a mailing list is procrastination. Yeah. Later on, not having a mailing list, it's not helping me because fewer people are reading my work. It's not helping the people that want to read my work because then it's harder for them to read my work and know when stuff is coming out. Who is benefiting from that? No one. At that point, it's 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 resistance. And time so to get it done. Yeah. time to get it done. Exactly. And so I think the book has made me. It's also good having deadlines, right? It's made me put some more infrastructure in place that I didn't have before, albeit I've had a mailing list for, for a few years. But again, with, with the other thing to say, though, I guess the other reason to talk about numbers of followers is um, my plan, speech marks plan, I've never, I've never thought about this before. You know, my plan is to worry about marketing as little as possible and focus mostly on doing the work. Mm. But, with the, and, but with the books, that's a bit more explicit. Like, let's publish the books, and let them find the people, not spend another two years wondering how to get the books to find the people and then publishing. That's been my choice. Um, now, I happen to have a particular attitude to procrastination, which, we've, which we're talking about, which is like, get it out. And I don't always know that that's the smartest way to do it. But I know that if I let myself worry too much about those things and think too much, then that quite quickly is worse than just publishing the thing and working out how to find the people later. But, you know, I, all I would reflect back to you is, yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying, but by building that mailing list, by getting that engaged audience, actually you're already finding the people. And then when you present the thing to them, they're, they're just ready to, you know, it's the price of a book and it's got great value and, and they know what's coming because they've already read 200 articles for free. It's, it's kind of, um, 
there is that chicken, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. But once you build even a very small, if, if they're an engaged audience, pretty much everything you offer to them is, is just there. And they're, and they're, you know, there's no, there's no decision for them to make. So Seth Godin now writes a book. I buy it. I don't really have to read too much about what it's about. I know it's going <laughs> to add something and yeah. it's the, a very small price to pay the price of a book. You know, I will get some insight from it. Boom. And so over time, once you build that orangey audience, it, it, you don't really have to work too hard to, to find them. They're they're already there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that what I would say is um, make it possible for them to find you as you do the work. If you're not doing that, then you're cheating yourself and you're cheating them and you need to make some changes. Yeah. But if you, if you're giving them a chance, then that's a, uh, you've, then you've probably done enough for now and it's time Mm -hmm. to do some more work. And what I would also say is, you know, one of the things that I wanted to dig into was you said right at the beginning, so sharing online publicly scared you and you have to remind yourself of who that person was because now that's not an issue. Yeah. How often do you do an audit, if you like, and say, because those scary feelings are worth going towards, you know, the, the, what is the, the phrase? Everything you've ever wanted is just the other side of your greatest fear. Yeah. Um, how often do you now push yourself out of that sort of comfortable space where you're not feeling queasy and nauseous. Yeah. So it's, it's worth pausing on that in the practice because um, that is, I would say a relative, it is relatively recently, certainly in the second half, if I've been doing five and a half years in the second half of that time that I have got to a place where I feel like, I don't know what the thing is that I would be writing about in that time that would scare me. Like, but that wasn't the case the whole way through, right? There are, there's a chapter in chapter in this book that, that mentions the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine. I remember writing that one. It's about Jordan Peterson. It's like low gender and Jordan Peterson in 2018 were pretty much the most charged things you could write about. And, um, I remember that being seriously edgy. In fact, it's probably worth saying once you've got a set of structures, um, you know, it's good to know the purpose of the rules so that occasionally you can break them. That one I felt I needed to slow down on and get right. So that one is one of the Mm. ones I cheated on, right? So it's like, it is worth saying that, that you're making up your own rules for a practice like this. So you gave yourself more than 12 minutes. You did a bit more research. You kind of really felt into it. It just needed, and it probably fear, like I could have put it out, but it was a better article by the time it was done. Mm. And given how horrible the internet can be around issues like Jordan Peterson and gender, mm. then that felt worth it because it was like, when is fear doing its job when it's actually protecting you? Okay. Yeah. And in that case, it was worth the second sweep. Right. And once that one's done, I haven't died. No Twitter mob has come after me. I look back at it. Like I'm proud of it. Mm. It was the right thing to write. Then, then I'm different again. Right. Cause I've learned like an embodied learning that the, that the fear wasn't real or wasn't as real as I thought it was. And then once you've done that, the, my capacity has grown. Once we've leaned into our fear, uh, confidence always comes after courage. Um, so you have to courageously step to somewhere you don't have confidence, then the confidence comes after. Yeah. So it's really important to say that, that, that that thing has changed gradually over time. And there might be things, there might be things if I really slowed down, which I could do, um, which would I would find difficult to write about in that way. But it's a really good question that you're asking. And I do think about that. 
So um, for example, so you were writing, you were sharing, and then it came to, okay, and now I'm going to build a podcast. Was that another like, oh, I've got to go back to the beginning. I've got to be a starter at this, a beginner. So, so the good thing is in my experience, um, low confidence has to be built in every situation. Um, it doesn't have to be built from scratch in every situation. So for example, if, if the, if the, big resistance was sharing myself online. Then by the start of the podcast, I've been doing that with the blog for like, say four years. I can't remember exactly mm. something like that, three and a bit. So I actually had that embodied confidence. I won't be laughed out of town in a horrible way if I make this podcast, probably. But I still had to use the tricks. I still recorded just like I had five pieces at the start so that I didn't get so embarrassed by the first one that I stopped. I recorded five interviews before I released any. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuff still got better quite quickly. Like I the, was much tenser, certainly how I felt. I was much tenser in the first one than in the second and much tenser in the, much less tense in the 10th than in the, the third. So it was definitely there. And on, on let's say, let's say this conservatively on every project I've done, they have all come out much later than they needed to. So the podcast definitely could have come out earlier I've, my coaching community that I mentioned happened, let's say, conservative two months after it could have with no good reason, just just the procrastination happening. Um, the book, like I was really worried this book, the first, the, the emotion when it was out was relief that right. I hadn't failed because it's like, but it's like at that point, like if I'm writing a book about how to beat procrastination and, and get things out, like who am I if it doesn't happen? So it's like not a small deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it took all, you know, it, it takes the, it takes all the humility to um, turn off my phone and unplug my computer from the internet at, to, to get this stuff done, to, to schedule stuff in the diary, to, to, do, to do all that kind of thing. What I think, and then there's a really interesting question, which is for me, is there something that I'm really afraid of that I'm not doing? Life. Mm. And th- th- the truth is in this moment, it doesn't feel like there's anything that feels like I used to feel when I, uh, the karaoke party, right? There's nothing, I don't come across that, that thing in my life um, these days. So if I said to you now, the next thing is, you know, the natural progression is to go and speak publicly in front of an audience to stand up on stage. Well, is what's interesting is, um, like, I don't doubt that before I gave, if I gave a big talk to some to some scary people, I don't doubt I would feel nervous. Mm-hmm. My suspicion is what's different is that I'm I'm enormously more comfortable with who I am than I was. Um, right. And so, and so perhaps that's been that process of writing. Yeah. Yeah. With well, like one of the things I think is always interesting to ask if you've been doing something for a long time is what have you been practicing? And it's never just what you think you've been practicing. Mm. So I definitely hadn't just been practicing sharing things on the internet and I hadn't just been practicing writing. Like Seth Godin says, if you write how you think or you, and you write how you speak, then when you're writing, you're practicing thinking and you're practicing speaking. Yeah. Um, I'd also been practicing just sharing what was in my mind from a place of presence. Essentially, I didn't know that. But definitely as time went on, that was happening. I like one of the things you said in, in the start of, you know, one of your, one of your podcasts, maybe, maybe all of them. I don't think it was on one of the other ones I listened to about um, getting out of thinking and, and tapping into wisdom. 
It's like I've yeah, been practicing. You, 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 you turn down the noise in your head and you tune into the wisdom in your heart, right. which is. That's, that's exactly what my 12 minute writing practice was doing every week for five and a half years now. Um, but I've also actively taken on some of those challenges. So I, I did used to feel, I did used to try and think my way through public speaking and facilitation. And for me, the journey has been, uh, let's say something like from thinking to trust. And so there's a way in which control and thinking really hard is really useful to keep us safe, to do things well. And then there's a point at which in my life, I felt like I had to transcend and include that because it wasn't similarly to, similarly to the writing practice. It, it isn't fun mm. to have to think incredibly hard about every word you say when you're giving a talk. What is fun is be for me is being relaxed in the moment, speaking from the heart in that moment and trusting that it'll be okay. But that is not a that has not been an easy journey. And it's not been a journey without practice. But this writing practice is part of that. And I've I've looked at it. You know, I took on a facilitation uh, role and I said, the reason I'm doing this, I was looking at it, it was like a little bit less money than I wanted to do, but I liked the company. It was like, I'm gonna do this. It's gonna be my experiment. How do I be less like like I have been? when presenting and more like I am when I'm at my best, which by coincidence is when I'm thinking not very much, trusting quite a lot, which I'd also been essentially practicing through mm -hmm. the 12 minute writing. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. And I think you said it right at the beginning, I'm more comfortable with who I am is the process because if you replace comfortable with confident in who I am, you know, it's, it's becoming more and how many of us, I, I mean, I don't, I was going to ask you about what's the greatest or what's the most common challenge that you see from your coaching clients. Yeah. I think we've, we've talked about the two actually, you know, it's like, why am I not doing this thing that I want to do? Mm. And the other one, I often think about it with leaders. They might say something like, I had like I had a series of clients who were like this in a row, and and then it, it so and then I saw the pattern that isn't always explicit, which is like I feel like I have to compromise who I am in order to get what I want, and how do we make sure that's not the case? Mm -hmm. So so like I feel like I have to compromise who I am to win this game of promotion. I feel like I have to compromise who I am to sell coaching. I feel like I have to compromise who I am to you know yeah to to get ahead in this game that's and interesting what Whereas if that's I not the game from a female perspective I, I spend a lot of time with women and it's i don't feel that i am enough or i am worthy enough to be part of this comment so to make this comment to yeah who am i to write this book who am i to have this podcast is the is the perspective not that i have to change who i am but but in the in the moment i don't feel worthy of a place at this table yeah and i just had this thought let's try this out i've never had this thought before um it could be that the reason that question is so pernicious is because it's right because you will you aren't who you need to be to make the podcast until you've made the podcast mm. so that actually you know they're always every creative journey is a hero's journey and the person who goes into the hero's journey like the reason you you the people people know that it's Joseph Campbell's framework for stories, it's like, or framework from stories really. He discovered that it was it, it was a, a story um, framework that had been present across cultures and, and across masses of time. There's a point where the the person refuses the call. Um, so we always know what we should do and we don't do it initially. So that's like part of the journey. And then there's a point where you step over the threshold and you you take the leap. Now the interesting thing is. 
one of the worries, if you dig into why aren't you stepping over the threshold is I'm afraid I'm going to die. Right. That was what it was for me. It's like, um, on some level. And we did, I remember doing this with Joel. It's like, what, if that happens, what are you afraid of? If that mm. happens, what are you afraid of? In the end, it's humiliation. And for humans, humiliation is, is being ostracized, which is in tribal times death. So it's like, to death. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. seriously a big deal. And the interesting thing about the hero's journey in a, in a psychological sense, in a creative sense is the you that starts the journey won't get out alive. It's right. Mm. It will die. And a new you will return from the belly of the beast, which is another part of the hero's journey. And I wonder, I'd never seen it before. I'd always just thought of who am I as that kind of those insidious, like, um, and maybe it's this too, those systems of like, you know, we don't have the role model who's, who's, you know, been to a, been to the school, the kind of school we have, who's gone on to do that thing or who has the gender we have that's gone to do that thing or, you know, whatever that is. And I've always just thought of who am I as being a kind of that, but I wonder if it's like, actually, yeah, you're right. I'm not yet who I need to be to, to do this leadership role. I need to become that. And that's the journey. Yeah, because every great story contains a change. What's what's changed and what is it? It's always unknown what's actually going to change. You know, you can yeah. never really predict because that that is that whole creative process of stepping into the unknown. I, you know, mm. I, I have so many stories about people who take one leap of faith and it's not, it doesn't always have to be a leap. I think leap of faith can be a little bit of a yeah, fly yeah. in the universe well, and the net will catch you but take one step in a direction and then another opportunity, a door opens that they could never have seen. And yet if they hadn't made that first step, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, absolutely. so that's a really insightful way of looking at it is that the reason that comes up is who am I is because yeah, you're not really able to say that yet. You, you have to just own it, be, become it, be willing to yeah, be that imposter. Yeah. I mean, I also think like it's a powerful thing to um, with a client who says that to like really answer the question, to really say, well, like, who are you to do that? And, mm -hmm. you know, truth is, who was I to write articles in 12 minutes? Well, for example, I was someone who, had, you know, my best friend and I had probably written hundreds of thousands to of words to each other in emails written essentially in one sitting in while we were in different jobs where we shouldn't have been writing emails to each other over a period of, of, of 10 or, or 15 years at that point. So it's like, it's not that I hadn't been practicing writing. Mm. Like I was some, like, although I hadn't thought about it that way, it's not that I was nobody to do that. It's just that I wasn't the me that, you know, I wasn't the person that could write, stick with something, keep that promise to themselves for five and a half years. Yeah. I'd never done that. I've, you know, every week is a, is a new, is a new frontier in that for me, because yeah. there's nothing that I've done with this consistency over this length of time in my life. But one of the questions I love to ask people is what is it that you do without being paid, without being asked to, without, you know, cause that's, that's a really good sign for what you, you, you'll be good at and what you can be putting out into the world more often. And, yeah, and so often there's a, a completely oblique answer that you think, well, whoa, that's a big surprise. You know, yeah. um, I read about Reiki healing and I really want to, you know, it's like, oh, okay, interesting, you know, yeah. but it's that, that, that can often be a clue towards what's going to light you up. And I was interested because you, um, you're part of an organization or you, you have a, a connection with an organization called 64 million creatives. Uh, artists, 64 Arti million artists. 64 yeah, million yeah. artists. And it's that awakening you know i would love to see more people lit up by their own creativity you know this is one thing that i really if i do nothing else as a coach it's like awakening people that 
inspiration to create, you know, and, and that can be generating new and innovative ideas. It doesn't have to be a poem or a, a work of art or a piece of writing, even it, it can literally just from where there is nothing, create something, make it with your hands, go, yeah, go figure it out. Yeah, Joe, who's the Joe Hunter, who's the CEO of 64 Million Artists, she has a TEDx talk. And one of the things she talks about it, it was kind of the moment when I like we were doing a little bit of work. And then that was when I when I watched that TEDx talk, I knew why. Um, and it was because, you know, she talks about there are many benefits of creativity, but essentially one of the deepest ones and the most important ones for me is is agency. It's like if I can create something from nothing, then I can change things. And if I can change things, then I can have hope. And if I can have hope, then that's then life is quite different. Um, yeah. and, and and what's interesting with 64 million artists is um, as a company, we do do work, which is kind of about poems. So there's, for example, the January, we're recording this at the start of Feb, the January, the January challenge, annual January challenge, which has tens of thousands of people taking part, it's just finished. And that's, you can get an email every day with a different creative challenge. Now they aren't all um, about like writing a poem, some of them might be, but they're all about doing something you wouldn't normally do, making something somehow, that little, that, like you said, the something from nothing piece. Mm. But we also do work, the most, the biggest part of the work that I do with them is we run leadership programs into leading UK universities, which are about helping some of their leading researchers think independently and innovatively and creative, creatively about the next phase of their work. And one of the things that is hardest for those people is to create the space and time to do that work wow. and it's wow. like it's an interesting little little circle which fits so beautifully into the work you do which is like find that 12 minutes just yeah. start yeah absolutely yeah. so have you found that most of your coaching clients now connect with you it's around productivity issues it's you know have you found that your niche has kind of found you because of yeah it's interesting i would say no <laughs> uh, now that might change because of the book in some ways, my view would be that productivity issues are a universal challenge in the world we live in, um, regardless of who someone is and what they're trying to do, because mm. we are all wrestling with uh, the fact that the smartest people in the world, if you believe the documentary The Social Dilemma or you like their arguments, it's like uh, some of the smartest people in the world are competing with each other to to distract us better than, than the For next time. AI. Yeah. AI platform. And we've all got to deal with that. And we've got to deal yeah. with the fact that we are more connected and there are lots of benefits to that. But also that means that the decision-making about how we use our time. And when we say yes to one thing, we're always saying no to something else. And when we're saying no to something that gives us the chance to say yes to something else, like that choice um, becomes, and the awareness of that choice becomes even more important. So it'll be interesting to see with this book, whether, you know, for example, will it mean that I have more productivity clients? Will it have mean that I have more creativity clients um will mm. it mean that i have more entrepreneurial clients like business startup clients I, I don't really know and again it these days i'm noticing that i didn't think about that that much and i think that's a bit like what we said before about followers and likes it's like i'm gonna trust like i i asked and listened to what were the goals that would get me most alive over the last few years and they were around getting these books out Mm. And I'm going to trust that in the long term, it's good for me to have those these books out. And I don't know how it's going to affect things. And with my coaching niche, from the very start, I've known like I've known that I can't know what my niche will be until I've worked with people, and I'll never find that out until I've done the work. And mostly across the different work I do, 
there are things that people have in common. Mostly they, they are interested in creativity in some way. They, they do kind of have a desire to change the world and make an impact. And I think the book speaks to that. You know, it's about like, if, if we want to change the world, then really what we need is people to start because that's really all that has ever changed the world is people having an idea and making it reality in some way. So yeah. I think like, I can see why the people that I do my best work with, which I tend to think of more as a, you know, they come from different places, but they have things in common about the challenges they're facing or or their life experience or what makes them who they are. Um, I think the book will probably resonate with them in the way yeah. that the other writing has, um, but I've got no idea where it'll where it'll leave my coaching. It's a, it's a really good question. Yeah. So I, you know, I was interested as, as to whether, yeah, again, it comes back to this chicken and egg thing, but whether you find then people, ah, oh, yeah, when they think of Robbie, he's the he's the productivity guy. He's the guy who writes I books think people, in I think, that, I think that does happen, and it will happen more. But I, the people I admire, they seem to show up in the world and find their people by being themselves. Mm. And so my aim, maybe consciously at the start, and certainly consciously now, is write a book that's like me. Because then the the people the right people for me to coach and support yeah. will find me. Yeah. Um, nothing worse than um, I had this with a client once. So she she was preparing for a job interview. It's like what are the you know you can draw like a quadrants of be yourself and do get the job versus <laughs> don't be yourself and don't get the job. And you get four quadrants. And we decided that the worst one would be to not be yourself and then get the job. And essentially be kind of trapped out of integrity, not knowing whether to show that you were somebody different or lie about who you are for the next five years, yeah, right? Yeah. And much rather be yourself and not get it. I mean, to be yourself and to not be yourself and not get the job is pretty lame too. But um, I'd, I'd think I'd rather not be trapped than anything else. So be yourself and then trust that that's the right thing. Yeah. And if you that's, don't get the job, the that's just because there's something else waiting for you around the corner. Yeah, and if Absolutely. I don't get the coaching clients, it's probably because they should be working with somebody else. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly one in, in terms of a coaching business, right. On some ways people are buying my presence. They're buying that space. Now they're also buying loads of training and experience, but what I want is if they've read my book or read my articles, that should help them show up feeling like they already know me yeah. so that we are in that place of trust. If I'm not who I seem to be from the writing, that's going to damage trust. and It's going to make the coaching less likely to happen. Yeah, absolutely. But I can see a lot of people now saying, oh yeah, I do have a project I want to get off the ground. I need to go and have a bit of a coaching session. And, and Well, yeah, that would yeah. be, that would be lovely. Like one of the things I realized um, is I just really love it when ordinary people make things happen. Um, and mm -hmm. if you can see this, I've got here, like over my shoulder for listeners, I'll describe it as like a, a little uh, sculpture statue of a character from one of my, you mentioned David Gemmell in the, um, in the in the intro, so this is a this is a model of Dross the Legend, who is uh, one of David Gemmell's uh, most well known characters, I guess, amongst people the, the people who who know his book. This was made by somebody who, during the first lockdown, couldn't work, and inst oh. instead, while he had that time, he made these amazing models. Um, and I was a little intimidated, and then delighted to send him the three hundred odd quid that this absolutely warrants because it brings me total joy. Wow. Um, and there's, a, you know, going back to your other question, here's a thing that I am practicing that I find uncomfortable, like spending money on myself for something that brings me joy. Like I've been practicing that. Like, it's like, I don't really do it. I never have. When we grew up, we didn't have that much money. I wasn't used to doing it. 
I, I worked in the charity sector for, t- for quite a lot of years. Yeah. Like I didn't have much money. It's not usual for me to do that. It makes me uncomfortable. I have to practice just like everything else. But this was such a great story. Like I absolutely love that this guy, I don't even know what he does, but I know it's not make little sculptures like yeah. he's making it. And it's, so it's so exciting to me when people, um, when people make things and you know this, cause you've, you know, you're moving into a new business, but you've, you've been a creative mm, uh, entrepreneur. Mm. And so like, I just love those stories. I love Etsy. It's like my favorite. When I discovered Etsy, I was like, this is amazing. I can buy this beautiful handmade card off some woman I would never be able to meet in North Wales. And it's here the next day and I can find it. And she can have a little business yeah. sending cards to me and the other hundred people a month across the whole country who find it, who would never find her in a shop on a street because it, because it wouldn't work. I love that stuff. So if anyone does read the book and feel inspired, you know, yes, of course, if you need some help, like get, get in touch with me, but also I'd love to hear those stories um, because mm. they're oh, really, yeah, yeah. really for me, they're what they're the measure. When I sat down and thought, what is real success for me for this book? It's some people who have wanted to do that thing for a long time and then they find the work or they hear the story on this podcast or something like it and they do it like that's what um that's what's really meaningful to me well that is how the community is going to bond isn't it the stories of i read this book and here's what i started and yeah yeah, sharing those stories it's it's really nice And, and there are people like that already you know who i've shared those stories with and who have that that insight and it, it can unlock it quite quickly it can be like ah, oh, yeah all these reasons I could just start this thing now or yeah. and in fact um two I ran a little writing group for a little while based on you know a work I ran a workshop called how to write a book in 12 minutes um, oh and then, wow wow and, and then uh you know brackets a week for three years um and then um on the on the back of that, some people who came to that actually managed to publish their books that they hadn't started before this so one came out. people who didn't leave when they realised it wasn't actually 12 minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> Stayed Absolutely. behind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's quite good because it's, I like having a clickbaity title followed by the, the truth. Yeah. You know, it's like no good book is written in 12 minutes, right? No, but no. every good book is written in a set of 12 minutes spread Absolutely. over a number of months Absolutely. or years. Yeah. Yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day. We all know that. Absolutely. So one of the stories that intrigued me most when I was researching you was we're moving from, you know, we've talked a lot about challenges and coaching is all about addressing challenges, but moving towards kindness, you said that you went, you were homeschooled until the age of nine and then you went to school and that was a real, that was a really hard challenge. Yeah. And then there was a teacher who saw something in you from an acting um, yeah. perspective and that kind of made all the difference. So as we move towards, you know, kindness, which is one of my favorite topics, I'd just love you to dig into that story about feeling seen and, and what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a real shock to my system. So I'd grown up, uh, I was like eight or nine when I went to school. So I've been home educated and not home educated by anyone either, like home educated by, you know, mostly by my mom. And then as time went on a bit more by my dad, but by two very, intuitive parents who were able Mm. to help me learn in a unusual way that they happen to have that set of skills to do that. And to then go from that into a a school environment, which everyone knows there are great things about school environments and and there are some things that are difficult. And for me, one of the things was loads of rules that I didn't understand. Massive, massive difference being engaged socially in just a completely different way that I, you know, I am and was you know, so I, you know, it's not quite true to say 
I'm an introvert. That doesn't feel true. But what does feel true is that I tend to have a small group of people around me. I love crowds and things, but I don't have millions of friends. Mm. And, you know, anyway, so that was a big deal for me to um, be in be in that school environment. And so there were a whole set of very kind moments from teachers and from students that that question prompted me to think about. You, you, you know, you said you sent that An across. An act of and, kindness has impacted you. So, yeah. Yeah, it prompted me to think about a number of things from that period that I hadn't thought about. And in some ways, you could say this is one of this was one of the most significant moments in my life. So we moved to, it's a funny story, like we moved to, where I live, where I went to school, we, ha we had a middle school. So we moved schools when we were, so a couple of years after I went to school, we moved schools again, which is actually really nice for me because it meant that we all got a fresh start somewhere and I was no longer the, the new kid in that way. Mm. And that Christmas, there was a, there was some plays for the year six kids. And me and my friend Ben arrived, arrived at like 12.58 for a one o'clock meeting about that. And at 102, someone else arrived and got sent packing. So it's like, it was that close. Wow, it was like wow. a, you know, sliding doorsy moment. Um, and I did that play and it was a great play. Me and my, my uh, friend, Ben, who actually died a few years ago, we were first world war soldiers at Christmas, uh, at the Christmas, 1914, 1914, I think Christmas truce where they played football. Right. Um, oh, yes. And it was a lovely play written by this teacher called Mr. Leeming. And then that summer, as we were walking to swimming, there's a swimming pool in the little town. We were walking along and Mr. Leeming was walking us along. He like, you know, slowed down until he came next to me in the line and offered me the part of uh, Scrooge in the following Christmas's play, which as anyone who knows a Christmas Carol will know is, you know, the part of in that story. You know, there's lots of and lots of great parts, but there's only one that it's that, that is in it throughout. And, you know, he said something to me, I'm always wary of memory because it's always, it's, it's more flawed than we think, isn't it? But I, my memory would say, he said something to me, like you were the only person I could think of that could do this. Wow. Wow. And you know, and no one, I think it's true because of who I was and how I'd grown up. And I'm not sure there would, at that point, there would have ever been an, an adult who wasn't my mum or dad or grands or, yeah, or grandparents, I guess, actually. But even then possibly apart from my mum and dad showing so much faith in me, saying, I see something in you. And I guess also yeah. saying, you know, to me actually saying, I see something in you that you don't see, because I would have never said that. I didn't yeah. know that at that point. I grew to know it, that that was a thing that I could do, um, which is which is also why the, the public speaking thing probably doesn't have as much of an impact on me as other people. Like I grew to know that, that that was something I could do, but I didn't know it um, that, that summer afternoon in Ingleton when Mr. Leeming tap me on the shoulder um and yeah he's read the book and um, so um it's oh, so, a beautiful uh, story yeah. yeah so i hope he now and i hope, I hope, I hope he knew anyway to this yeah. hearing him hearing the story about how much yeah, of an nice impact idea. that had Let's on you that. is yeah. is just wonderful and it's so important i think we don't give much credit to how much I mean, that's, that's one of the beauties of coaching for me. I get to shine that light on people all the time. You know, that's like, here's what I see. And I, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. But yeah, wonderful, wonderful story. And I think it's so, so moving to hear how those moments do, they are so formative. You know, it, it is something you carry with you. If, I, if, it, if he saw something in me, therefore I can take that forward into the next thing. And presumably the play was a huge success like 
Yes, I'm going to say yes. I, I, like he kept giving me parts in plays and other people did. Um, I'm trying to think what, like I can still remember the opening line was back to your desk, Cratchit. There is work to be done. That's, and that, was, that would have been 1990, Christmas 96, I think. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. And so moving on to music, which for me is, as well as being a universal language of creativity, is always... You know, when I when I talk to creatives, I know it's something that I use a lot to inspire me. If I want to, if I want to make sure I sit down to do, say, morning pages, I will put on a playlist, and it's almost that treat of oh, I can take myself out, put my headphones in, listen to the music, and that that will keep me sort of in the moment where I need to be. So, how important is music in your life? Yeah, it's been it's been very important. You know, there's, it has that. For me, when I was, again, similar age, if I think about that age of like 10, 11, 12, as I was discovering mid nineties, of course it was it, in Britain, it was guitar music, mm. um, you know, discovering that there's like a sense of belonging and a sense of something bigger than me that, that just happened for me around that time. And you can also hang your identity on music, which I, I did at least a little bit, although not as much as some people, some people do. And yeah, it's, I mean, and it's been, it's been part of my life ever since really. And although I struggled in that karaoke party, you know, it, it, it drove me to, you know, I've, I've played the guitar a lot, mostly to myself, but not always like it, it that, that in, it, interestingly, I think that I finally completed a hero's journey of music. I've never thought about it. This is quite moving. Actually. I don't think I'll ever get that feeling of, at a karaoke party again, because I kind of completed my hero's journey of music when I played a couple of songs at our wedding. Oh. Um, and uh and it, since then it's really interesting i it almost feels like it's done like i don't know if it is and i'm sure it'll come back but in terms of playing music i don't play that much but yeah music's you know has been very meaningful to me it's like i i sometimes go back to those songs that i was listening to when i was 12 and it's like it's amazing you know there's the yeah. depth of poetry that i was you know absorbing um, that I didn't necessarily understand then, or the stuff that I didn't understand when I was 22 or the stuff that I didn't understand when I was 32, you know, but it was all going in. And there's, there's a way that I think for me that music takes us somewhere, uh, bigger than it's this, it's like poetry can take you somewhere deeper and bigger than prose. Um, and music is, is like that too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the song that you'd like to add to the playlist. Is... Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's funny. So like, I, I kind of, it's like see, interesting to see what emerges. I kind of listened to see whether it was a song from that time. Mm, like, I, mm. you know, I absolutely, um, my world was whole, was really changed by the songwriting of Noel Gallagher and Oasis and that kind of thing really changed. But when I listened, what came was like the, let's call it like the second, uh, the second real what musical love of my life. It's not quite true to say that, but if I was to say which two songwriters have influenced me the most, one would probably be Noel and the other would be Frank Turner. Um, and then when I, so for people who don't know Frank Turner, he yeah. was a punk singer in a punk band. And then when it fell to bits, for some reason, he tells the story slightly differently. He ended up playing acoustic guitar and then it became, you know, became, he's something you might, he might call himself a folk punk singer now. Wow. Um, and then the song that came up, when I sat with it was it was like a different one. I tried to change my mind on this one because I thought like, like it's like if I wanted to introduce people to Frank Turner, I wouldn't necessarily choose this song, but it felt like the right one. There's a song called The Journey of the Magi. Um, and really, it's a song about pursuit as happiness. Um, is that right? Oh my really, goodness. it is. So it's a song about 
Moses and Odysseus and Balthazar and how, you know, they could have played safe and stayed as a, as a king in Ithaca. But in the end, the journeys brought joys that outweigh the pain. And it, it ends with this absolutely beautiful kind of coda, which is um, paupers and kings, princes and thieves, singers of songs, writers of wrongs, be what you believe. Saddle your horse, shoulder your load, burst at the seams, be what you dream and take to the road. Magical. That is a magical song. What amazing, an amazing addition to the, the playlist. Can't wait to listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I really love about this is I'm, yeah, always astounded, often introduced to whole worlds of music that I you know, have never encountered. Well, I'm really looking forward to listening to the playlist as well. Oh, it's amazing. And, you know, I've got an interesting story. So my favorite band is Bears Den about your thing about, you know, putting out work and finding a following and whether you, I mean, now they have a great following, but I got an email from them via Spotify because I was one of their, you know, they, they have a list of the most oh, yeah. listened to songs. And so through Spotify, they have access to my email and they sent me a message to say, just so you know, you're one of our top, tier customer you know you're one of our top tier listeners you know you're just a big fan which is true and we're just about to start our new world tour and we would love you to get vip first oh. dibs on to i mean it, and it was literally you open it up and you go okay i didn't have plans to be in stockholm in april but i'm maybe i'm gonna make some and it yeah. felt so like such an honor to be so they're not selling me tickets. They are offering me a thank you for being a great fan. I felt like, oh my God, they saw me. You yeah. know, that is great marketing. And well, but but also I think, you know, if they built their following in that same way, Frank Turner will be the same. You know, he had a rule yeah. for a while where it was like, I'll play any gig for 50 pounds and somewhere to sleep. So it's like it's what what matters is playing. Yeah. And it worked, yeah. right? Because every, I don't know how often it happened, but let's say, you know, how many gigs does he need to do to find somebody like me who's still talking about the gig 15 years later and quoting his lyrics by heart on a podcast exactly. it's like and I think people like that they kind of remember really how that happened and how the loyalty of the people who follow them yeah. really um really makes a difference yeah so no that's um it's magical that that song kind of comes full circle to pursuit of happiness it's magical mm. that it's got such powerful lyrics and yeah, a welcome, welcome addition to the podcast. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I knew I was going to, it's, you know, it's all the topics that really kind of inspire me. And, and I know it's going to be of real value to people who are listening to, to know that there is this little resource <clears throat> that they can go to and yeah, get that project started. And, and what is it that's like, you're just urging to itching to do and, and, go do it, go start is, mm -hmm. is great. So what would you say is the piece of wisdom that you're going to add to my collection? Hmm. Well, I think it's probably, I've already said it. I think if there was a piece that's guided me and I've remembered over and over again, it's the Stephen Pressfield rule of thumb that, you know, the place where you feel the greatest resistance is the place that's most important for your soul's evolution. Like that's, you know, it's like, Every time I have really struggled, I remind, I've, you know, especially in those early, those early few years of this practice in the coaching business, you yeah. know, it's like, okay, if this, if, 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 for example, even if sharing that I've just done a coaching training and need some practice clients is this hard for me, 
is probably important. Mm. You know, if being anxious about writing things online is this hard for me, it's probably important. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Actually, really important advice. And I would say it's not something that's been touched on yet. Interesting enough, you know, I just we're now into season six. We're crossing the sort of 50 episodes boundary and there have been no two pieces of advice that are exactly the same you know it's that that itself has been insightful to me so thank you very much for joining me thank you for sharing all of that wisdom if people who are listening to this want to come and find you you have a website yeah you can find me at robbyswale.com swale is s-w-a-l-e um uh, if you google robbie swale because my parents along with their home education they created a new name for me so there is no there is there are no other robbie swales as far as i know no way. swale was i was the first swale in the family not the last though there's a there's a few of us now some some by marriage um yeah you can find me at robbyswale.com add me on linkedin i'm on twitter there's a if you like the 12 minute method, there's also a 12 minute method Facebook group. I'm experimenting with that. I haven't been on Facebook professionally really for a few years, but it's it, for some reason it just kept calling. And so here I am and we'll see, yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. Um, the book's available on Amazon. It will be appearing in all the other, in all the other places like the Waterstones website and that kind of thing, I hope sometime quite soon. Um, and yeah, reach out. Like I love to help people with this stuff. It feels, we talked about it a little bit, but it feels you know, the, the modern world is very complex. It's hard to know what makes a difference. Um, and when I've thought about that, it's hard to be sure what makes a difference. I am pretty sure that helping people make the things that they want to make and aren't making is a part of tilting the world the right way. At the very least, it helps whoever's really wants to make something and hasn't get out of the kind of creative hell that they're in, which mm. is me at the karaoke party, really, really wanting to sing and not being able to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, at best, uh, who knows where those, those little creative practices and things that we want to make end. Absolutely. Fabulous stuff. Links as ever to all of that in the show notes, but yeah, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a total pleasure. And also congratulations on getting to 50 episodes. Like it's not yes. easy, right? That's, there's a habit, there's the creation. There's like, you know, I'm only at 30, 30 something and I know how much effort that's taken. So like, well done for creating and for creating such a great resource as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take that with, uh, with great pleasure. Thank you. Big thanks to Robbie for that really powerful conversation. As you can see, I got a little bit carried away and we've gone way over time. But I loved what he said about his writing practice actually helping him to become a better thinker and to get more comfortable about being who he is. And that song that he chose is all about not playing it safe and how when we step into the unknown, the joy definitely does outweigh the pain. So that's it from me, apart from one recommendation of a fiction book that I've just finished reading, The 100 Years of Lenny and Margot by Marianne Cronin. It's a beautiful book about an extraordinary friendship between 83-year-old Margot and 17-year-old Lenny. I picked it up because the blurb on the front said it was full of wisdom and kindness and that turned out to be so completely true. It's a really well-written, beautiful book, and I can't recommend it highly enough. 
I hope whatever you're pursuing this week brings you happiness and I look forward to more conversations next week. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.